welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. James Bond again this week is on assignment. He's a busy guy. So I'm your standing host once more, James Page from MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. And by the time you listen to this, we will be launching our 2020 season pre-order. So go to MI6Confidential.com. That's where you can renew your subscriptions or pick up a new one if you're joining us. Um, this week, uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by Bill Koenig and Joseph Darlington. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command. Hello, I am Joseph Darlington, and I am the humble author of uh, Being James Bond. Awesome. So we're going to time travel a bit back to like 2006 um, with a really great idea for a topic of conversation. Uh, Joe, do you want to set us up for what we're going to talk about this week? Yeah, basically we were talking about Casino Royale and just... You know, if you'll forgive the term, what a phenomenon it really was. And it was the first time that the series had been rebooted, or at least officially rebooted. Uh, and we were sort of discussing around that time, you know, where could you possibly go from here to be able to sort of keep this momentum going strong? Uh, I personally was of a mind that Casino Royale, um, the planets really aligned for that film. Uh, it was the novel that uh, Eon did not have the rights to for for many decades. Uh, so it was the only untapped novel. Uh, and ironically, it was also the first Fleming novel. So when the opportunity came for them to do the film and the way they were able to do it, and again, I, I, I personally am a gigantic fan of the film. I love how it was handled. I love how the original Fleming story was treated. Um, essentially, they did it right. They, you know, a, a film that might have happened in the 70s, well, you might have had the big card game and a, a villain named mm -hmm. Lashif and a heroine named Vesper, but the card game probably would have happened maybe like two-thirds of the way through and that we would have gone to Lashif's island to, to track down the giant laser, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the climate felt right to sort of do it more as a as a, a more realistic nod, and they were able to keep Fleming's story intact. Uh, so again, where do you go from here? And I think my personal theory was that the only way you could really go forward and really keep the momentum going strong would be if the next film would be Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die basically a retelling of the novel similar to how it was treated for Casino Royale, where you take, again, the essential story, the essential characters and, and the essential thrust of the plot and refashion it in a way right. that you could, again, you do it in a modern, it's a modern telling the way Casino was. Uh, and that's it. And then basically it's, it's uh, we're just kind of wondering, could you? Could you How do, would it? do it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, whilst we wait for all the klaxons to die down of all the controversy alerts that are probably triggering in some people's heads right now, because um, that's often the thing that comes up with Live and Let Die, I think the good thing to do is take a little step back and see well, how did they exactly update and adapt Casino Royale? Because I think that will give us a template and a blueprint for how you could do Live and Let Die. Um, I think, I don't know if you guys agree, it's fair to say like the first act of Casino Royale was, I mean, they created a new first act for that adaptation. Mm, it is yeah. connected and woven through the plot, but it's almost like a separate movie compared to 
if you look at the book, the novel Casino Royale, and they, they dovetail beautifully the invented scenes and plots that they come up to with the, with the rest of the film. But had they just done the book straight, it would not have satisfied, you know, the modern movie structure and duration, I guess. So they had to beef it up a little bit with some inventions. It was sort of comparable to From Russia With Love, except it was switched, like From Russia With Love added these outdoor sequences toward the end, toward Act 3, in Act mm. 3. Um, but with Casino, they did it at the, at the start. So essentially it was, uh, I guess you could consider it an incredibly elaborate pre-title sequence, except it went beyond the titles. Um, right. <laughs> For like the first 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I was going to say, with that in mind, it's like, if you're talking about adapting the the Live and Let Die novel, it's not a big story in terms of what, you know what happens. Um, so there's room for adding content, but still keeping it faithful. I think. Mm. I, you know, when I was in college, I had a course that was called uh, Film and Literature, or maybe it was called Literature and Film, or it should have been. And you know, they they were it was a big discussion about basically adapting the written word for the screen. And, you know, one of the things they talked about was the difficulty. Again, you know, there are there are books that are just gigantic. And how could you possibly give them a proper treatment on screen? And one of the theories that they said was that the, the perfect the perfect um, thing to adapt is what they called a novella, you know, not right. quite a full blown novel, you know, something that's a little thinner. And I think the Fleming novels, uh, I, I think they qualify. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like they give you just enough that you can, again, treat the source material with respect and still have a lot of room to play around. And I think, like you said, that is one of the the genius moves of Casino. Uh, I mean, again, they are taking the character of Bond. They are updating him for the modern era. Um, you, you know, the, the scene on the train with Bond and Vesper. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is canon or not. It's like, it, just because she says it doesn't make it true. But she sort of referred to him as a former SAS type. And I kind of felt yes. like, well, if that's true. That is, that is kind of a, a, an interesting modern spin on 007. He does have a military background. But again, we are long past being able to call him a, a veteran of World War II. Uh, right. The Royal Navy probably <laughs> wouldn't work today, but this sort of worked. Uh, so, yeah, I, I again, I, I, I agree that I think the stuff that they add to it, does add and it does lay the groundwork enough so that when we do get to the Fleming material, we're, 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 we're kind of ready to go. Yeah. I mean, about that SAS line, I think it's very, it's very um, clever way of um, giving the audience an idea of what his background was um, in the rewritten history of the character. When they rebooted uh, Craig's Jace Bond is a former SBS guy which is special boat service mm. um which is a very l- lesser known um i guess it would be equivalent to some kind of marine corps division in the states to give it the the comparison um sort of like the seals or... yeah sort of like the seals absolutely yeah. yeah yeah very equivalent to that um but the general public wouldn't know about the sbs so for vesper to say sas is kind of like that's what you know that's the that's what the man in the street would think. So I think it was a very clever way of doing it without being too specific. I was, I was also going to say with the Fleming novels and short stories, there's so much that is either, say, Bond's inner monologue, Bond thinking about something like the Garden of Death in You Only Live Twice. 
a lot of that is Bond hiding or, you, you know, right. camouflaging himself and what he's thinking about these various odd, bizarre things he's witnessing. Um, and also, I'm thinking also the Thunderball novel, which admittedly was based on a screenplay, but like one chapter is Domino talking about this fantasy that she is concocted around a player's cigarette ad. Yeah, um, which actually did see did see the light of day and die another day in the uh, mm-hmm. in the subway or mm-hmm. uh, underground, I guess they call it in, in London. Uh, you know, the that players ad that was on uh, was on the wall, and uh, some eagle-eyed Bond fans snatched it up. I'm sure the vast majority of the audience, you know, right. just didn't even register, but. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that's one of the first things that came out from the first one of the first waves of press stills, and people noticed that ad. Um, yeah, as a, as a callback. Um, but looking at looking at, so when we when we were kicking around this topic, obviously the first thing people are going to say is, you can't adapt "Live and Let Die" because it'd be too racist. Or how would you do it in such a way that it's not racist? And I will point to the Casino Royale adaptation, whereby all of the invented villains that were added to that plot were black um the whole um organization that mr white visits in uganda are so-called freedom fighters but we know they're the bad guys um the malaka the terrorist he goes after is african they have the whole setup in madagascar so all of these things were added um to the film um to, you know, to beef up the threat and the story. Um, and nobody cared that these were African villains and the, the you know, the, the, the embassy being blown up, um, apart from the diplomatic, you know, aspect to it that they use in the film. Um, the race was never a brought, I can't remember one single discussion where somebody brought race up and how they adapted, how the stuff they added to Casino Rail. So I don't buy for a second that you, you, you couldn't do live and let die at all. Well, well, if, I mean, one possibility would simply be to make the uh, villains organization diverse racially. It's not all black. It's various races, including some whites, but also Asian Americans, whatever. If you retain the original locations, i.e. New York specifically, um, it's considerably different than 65 years ago when uh, right. Fleming wrote about it. So you could, you would have to make a change anyway um, because that area has become gentrified. Um, you would, you would have to find another way to kind of uh, communicate the idea of um, Oh, Bond being, I'm trying to think, sort of paranoia. You'd, you'd have to get a different way of communicating paranoia that Bond knows he's being watched. Bond and Felix know they're being watched. They know they're kind of going into the right uh, the villain's den, and you just you, you would just have to do it an entirely different way. But it could, but I would think you could do it. James, I got to tell you, I, I it never really occurred to me what you just said about. First of all, the, I, you're absolutely correct that no one even blinked when, in fact, I never even really gave it a thought until you just said it, that right. the, the new villains in Casino were all black. They were all African. And it, you actually, 
and frankly, this conversation is probably going to get me more frustrated that they did not go on and do Live and Let Die because right. you, you could actually make a connection now. You could say that, you know, if, if the new um, baddies are, you know, they could be connected to that group somehow. Um, well, I would also take it a step further in uh, the Mr. Big counterpart for a modern remake, you make him like he is part of the establishment, the New York establishment. He is yeah. he is like uh, seemingly respectable, but he has this, you know, um, villainous organization in the background uh, to use a comic book example, the Kingpin uh, was originally right. a Spider-Man villain, then made into yep. a Daredevil villain. He's like, you know, he's outwardly respectable, but he's really this, you know, insidious criminal. So you could do that. So, and you know what? You probably couldn't get away with calling him Mr. Big, but what you could do is you could probably use the original name, which I forget. I think his first name was Bonaparte, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah. Um, use that name maybe not even mention the middle initial but just use the name and don't say mr big and you know don't make it as uh i mean i mean mr big is such a trope um yeah i I mean they were making they they made jokes about it in the uh pilot to get smart where mr big was revealed to be a dwarf Um, right (laughs) right Right. And, and you have obviously the setup with Mr. White and Casino as being the fixer, right? That goes around and signs people up to their organization to, you know, to keep their money safe whilst they're uh, peddling weapons or terrorist activities or whatever else that's going on. So that would link really nicely into Fleming's original plot of having a cache of some kind of trove of value that you have to smuggle into New York. Right, right, um, and it doesn't have to be gold coins in twenty two thousand eight. Whenever it would have been, it could have been. Well, now it could have been cryptocurrency. Right, it doesn't have to be mm. old school, um, and that's how I was thinking about updating it. Is if if you take the the central plot, which is here, you've got a guy who's um, come across some ill gotten gains and is somehow basically trying to launder it through New York City. Um, doesn't have to be gold coins anymore. Could be all sorts of things, right? And you could add to it in that uh, we'll call him Bonaparte for ease right. of reference. Bonaparte could have his claws into the mayor of New York City or this prominent citizen here or that prominent CEO there. Um, you know, that would be a different layer. Um, to get again, get across the idea of how this guy has all his um, claws into so much of the establishment. In other words, it makes him a. It's you know. In other words, you do this to establish this is not going to be an easy guy for right. Bond to take down. Right. Mm. You know, you mentioned before. You said Mr. Big, the name, just it it kind of reeks of like a fifties gangster movie, maybe even earlier. Yeah. Uh, although I think that if you wanted to, you could update the name and just sort of call him Big, because I, I, you know, I, I kind of remember when Biggie Smalls was a thing. Um, yeah. I remember thinking like, boy, you know, wouldn't take much to just sort of tweak that name a little bit, you know, and then maybe you call him just Big or Biggie or something, something to that effect. 
like uh, Sex in the City. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm having a flashback to that Get Smart pilot. So you're Mr. Big, and then you have this two shot. <laughs> <laughs> this little guy and you are maxwell smart and he offers uh maxwell smart a cigarette and they're like these little nubs <laughs> because they're they're mr big special blend <laughs> these little tiny cigarettes and maxwell smart takes a drag very good and he has to put it out because there's no more cigarette to smoke <laughs> you were young So the, the trigger point for getting Bond after Bonaparte in the novel is, um, you know, he's suspected to be an agent of Smirsh, right? And um, that's what triggers them to send him off to New York. But given that we have the setup with Mr. White in Casino, that problem solves itself too, doesn't it? Because right. it could just be a contact in his address book and, it, you know, MI6 flag it up as a person of interest that they've been looking at too and go, go find out what you can. And there might mm. even be a, an indication that Bonaparte has his claws into somebody prominent in the uh, UK. I mean, right? Which was the which was the plot strand removed from Quantum, although not completely. Um, right. With the whole Guy Haynes character, the you know the um, the right hand man of the Prime Minister being being a bad one. Well, I was about to say, given recent news uh, developments involving a member of the royal family and a uh, right. now deceased uh, <laughs> yes. bad guy, it's like it's not that it's not that far fetched uh, uh, yeah. an idea. So, as a as somebody who's close to it, Joe, um, how would you see New York City playing out in a two thousand eight? Uh, you know, adaptation? that's another. That's another aspect of this that I thought was so ripe to to revisit because, you know, one of the things that I thought was masterfully done in Casino was that Mr. B, uh, Mr. White and the shadowy organization were financing terrorism. And I right. thought, now that is brilliant because you essentially took an organization from the novel that was financing the, the communists, you know, financing the enemies of the Cold War. And now we've just simply updated the, to the to the war of the day. Um, you know, at that time, this was still reasonably not long after 9-11. There's a there's a there's a direct reference to 9-11 in Casino Royale. And I thought now this is it because so that made me feel like, you know what, James Bond landing and seeing a skyline of New York without the Twin Towers, you don't have to say a word. But again, I felt right. like this was still sort of close enough to that event where just the look could have been enough to make you kind of go, yeah, yeah, we are still sort of living in this post 9-11 world. And therefore, I, I think you still could have played on that idea, the idea that we're that the bad guys are financing terrorism or, or something to do with terrorists. I don't know how you would you know, do that exactly with this one. Um, well, well, one possibility is I forget uh, exactly in t as of 2008 what the uh, state of the 9-11 site was, but had they uh, built the replacement 
tower yet. No, they no. frankly it took them that, a decade, like years. over a decade, yeah. to to put anything there. Yeah, you could simply have Bond go by the site, right? Uh, for example, I mean that's a possibility. It's, I, I yeah, I don't know how. Again, I don't know how obvious you'd want to make that. I mean, I think that again, the mention of nine eleven in two thousand and six was you know just enough to kind of put you oh yeah yeah that that's a thing and we are still sort of living in the shadow of that um i don't know if i want james bond to visit the site i, I mean it, like you know you don't I, I want don't to put even... people's minds too much into that but again just the the little the little nod it would, would probably be effective him, i'm not even thinking visiting the site per se he's just going from point a to point b and he happens to go by the site yeah, or it could be you know he because it's in Lower he, he, Manhattan. There's yeah, a lot of yeah. things you could do in Lower Manhattan. Yeah, um, I mean right. it could be that he meet, he meets lighter at a CIA office, which the windows look out over the you know we could you could do all sorts of things. Yeah, I mean I, I agree. I think you should you would have I think you should do it with a light hand. You don't want to do, yeah. do mm. too heavy, but I think you could like evoke it visually, particularly back then. Um, Without it, you know, you you get the point across without lecturing. Mm. Well, I, again, I I thought that the reference to nine eleven and casino was was just enough to sort of make you feel that this bond is living in the world we live in. You know, like this mm-hmm. this is not just a complete fantasy world. We are dealing with real, you know, see, and that's sort of been something that I think the Bond films have um, grappled with. You know, again, this was a these are novels that very much reference. The Cold War, specific countries, specific villains in different countries, and the films as they evolve, they yeah. are a little nervous to do that. So that's why we have kind of you know megalomaniacal villains who just want to take over the world. And St- even when state, we do reference, villain. exactly yes, and even when we do specifically mention Russians, we usually have a you know a a general who's way off in left field doing his right. own thing or, or specters really pulling the strings all along, et cetera. Right. Right. So, um, along those lines, um, Bonaparte's hideout in the Caribbean. I mean, given that Purvis and Wade would have been ad- adapting this, would that then be Cuba? <laughs> we'd just switch to Cuba. Probably. Of, Jamaica. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Got to wedge Cuba in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, in the in the seventy three loose adaptation, you know, they invented a country for it, a nation state for it because, um, you know, for that very reason, right? They don't want to invoke anything in reality. But if if Craig's Bond is more, you know, if the expectation is you could bump into him and he, he inhibits the same universe as we do, um, then you couldn't do that. You'd have to actually use a real place for his hideout. Hmm. That is an interesting but, problem. Um, but you know we're going to see Jamaica as Jamaica in No Time to Die. So, but again, you know they use Cuba as the jumping-off point mm. in that film. Spoilers, but um, <laughs> so I think you could you could totally use a real place. I think I think those days are gone now, where we have to invent locations. Well, I think I think if you handle it again, the sort of the same way you handled a lot of the um, like what we were just talking about about how um, you know we we might name the country, but the villain has gone rogue. Uh, right. You know the fact that um, you know we're talking about a, a diplomat, you simply just sort of say something about how the country he's representing is not crazy about him either. Uh, right. Something to that effect. 
You just make it a private island. Right. There you go. I, I, will, I will say that I'm never – it would be a last resort. I'm never crazy about when they invent fictional places. I, I kind of like it when they stick to real places, but that could also be a possibility if, uh, if you just couldn't write your way around it. In, in one of Fleming's more, um, I, I find it amusing that Lighter escapes Bonaparte's goons because of the shared appreciation of chess. <laughs> yeah. So there's a few things that would have to be tweaked. But there's obviously this is a lighter, heavy story. And um, in Quantum, the film that we did get after Casino, Lighter was used very sparingly. But... Um, I was about to say also, if you're going to do Live and Let Die, um, Fleming had a rather interesting description of uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> I, I think it's a line from Lighter about it's the kind of place you just want to crawl in a coffin and pull the lid <laughs> down after you. Whereupon St. Petersburg also has become gentrified in recent years. Um, right. Because I, I was there in 2015 and the downtown areas undergone a lot of changes it's it's not mm-hmm. just an old place for old people anymore i don't know if that's i i don't re- think that's necessarily a location you have to replicate but uh, no i was going to ask that because that chunk of the book is basically recycled for living uh, license to kill with the whole investigating yeah. the warehouse and the exotic fish tanks and all that kind right. of stuff um which you know they transpose to the, the florida keys right um, in license to kill so Anybody got any suggestions about where you could? You know, you could still switch do it to? somewhere in Florida. I mean, Florida is just such a bizarre place. You know, there's so many <laughs> weird crimes that happen. You could just do something. You know, you don't even have to follow Fleming's story. You can just invent something goofy, and you know, chances are it's actually got some kind of tie to reality. Um, mm. Uh, just you know, just some kind of nasty situation Bond has to get himself out of. Right. I, I almost feel like it wouldn't even be that important. You could you could just do it in St. Pete, just to sort of nod to the novel and say, "Look, you know, we kept it authentic." Yeah. Um, I, I think wherever they went, chances are you're going to be by the water anyway. You'll you'll find right. the most pitch, picturesque uh, locations there. And and I agree with you, St. Pete. Uh, the la- again, it's been a little while. But it was it was done up very nicely. It had kind of a you know nice nightlife, and they, and again you have that beautiful area by the water. I think you could do it. How do, how do you both feel about the fact that you know that chunk was used in License to Kill? Would would a modern audience be okay with seeing it 
basically again. License skills was 30 years ago. I asked yeah. chunks of the audience wouldn't even remember it. <laughs> if they did, they'd kind of shrug their shoulders. I, you know, I, th- I think it would be fine. I mean, the only objections you would get would be from sort of like the more hardcore Bond fans, maybe. And even then, I'm not even sure they'd object. Well, well, actually, when you put it that way, my question is, well, what about the scenes from the novel that actually do make it into the movie? Um, that that is sort of a, a broader question: is if you did redo the novel or any of the novels going forward, the problem is going to be that again, some of the books are pretty faithful, some are not. Uh, so, what do you do with the with that bit of territory that they've already sort of, you know, crossed, plucked? You know, you yeah. know. I, I was just thinking while we were talking about Live and Let Die, I was just also thinking about Moonraker and. So we, here in the 21st century, we are literally in an age where billionaires play with rockets. And um, so like in, when Moonraker was published, that was a fantasy. Like who's got enough money to like (laughs) make their own rocket? And it's like, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these other guys are playing with rockets and they got more money than (laughs) than they know what to do with. So I'm going to make rockets. that's you you could sort of you know that's another one you could do where the the billionaire has a secret um turns out he's really part of the shadowy organization um they they kind of sort of did moonraker the novel in the first half of die die another day um you know but you could do it like more overtly (laughs) Than, than Die Another Day did. Um, and, and I think, you know, and, and, and the other thing is, I think the whole idea of the reboot in 2006 gives you cover to do that. It's like, well, yeah, we kind of did, but now we're doing it truer to Fleming. I mean, that would be, that would be the talking point regardless of whatever changes they made. Mm-hmm. Right. There would be a whole host of different questions to, to really consider. And I, I mean, just one of them would be the title. Um, yeah. I mean, personally, yeah, good, I sort of good point. <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I sort of say to myself, well, look, you might as well just sort of say, look, yes, we are. We are full blown because, again, I almost feel like when they when they said they were going to reboot the series. I mean, I think yeah. everyone sort of had the same bunch of questions. Well, does this mean that we're going to eventually see Tracy? Does this mean we will eventually right. you know, see the other elements of the Bond books since we are starting fresh? Um, you know, quantum, I think quickly answered those questions with a big old fat, not really, no. um, right. but again, well, I, if you did well, do, yes the- no, because like with, uh, Madeline, I mean, Madeline is supposed to be Tracy 2.0. She was a, a blonde, right? In the novel. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they went with Diana Rigg, who wasn't a blonde, but I, I always kind of wondered if one of the reasons, uh, Leia Stu got cast was cause she was blonde and was quote, more faithful, unquote, to Fleming's vision of uh, Tracy. Mm. And not to mention, I mean, we did eventually get Spectre, Blofeld, et cetera. So, I mean, there are yeah. elements that kind of came back. But um, two points, Joe. I mean, even at, at, if, if you look at Quantum as being an, a fourth act to Casino, you could have done Live and Let Die after Quantum, I think. You could uh, you, at, a, at a stretch. I mean, it would have been nice. It would have been cleaner just to go from one to the other. But uh, to your point, I mean, there's been um, countless movies that have used the same title during reboots 
and you know the year distinguishes it in parentheses mm. i mean that's yeah right that's i don't mm. yeah i i i mean personally i probably would have gone with calling it literally ian fleming's live and let die it's not a right. perfect solution but i think it at least distinguishes it and says okay this is a little different than what you saw before um but yeah i mean but this yeah, I was going to say, it's like Christopher Wood's problem with the Moonraker novelization of the adaptation of the original book. It was like, right. oh, we'll call it James Bond in Moonraker. It was like, there's a solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, know what the, you know what? You could invent a title, but then this would be the cool part in the writing title card. It would be a screenplay by whoever based on the novel Live and Let Die by Ian Fleming. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, so you don't have to tie yourself to Fleming's title because – uh, books get retitled for movies all the time. That's true. But, mm. but have that in the title card, and it's like, you know, the longtime Bond fans go, yes. Um, right. Mm. I, I think that if you did not call it Live and Let Die, though, you, you probably, like you said, you're sort of missing out on the buzz that a lot of people would have. I think a lot of people would be very curious to see, all right, well, yeah. what are they going to do with this? We got to check this out. It's a double-edged sword because if you do call it Live and Let Die, then people will expect a close adaptation to it. If you don't call it Live and Let Die, you're giving yourself wiggle room to tweak it. And, and, and I, I, I don't true. think everybody – nobody's happy with either of those situations. If you do call it Live and Let Die, you're going to – I mean this will be the cost of doing business. You'll get uh, an essay in The Guardian or wherever just, uh, oh, this is a horrible idea. It's a racist novel. It's awful. Um, but – you know, like I said, that's that's the price of doing business. Um, you're you're going to mm. get that kind of criticism anyway. Bond movies get that criticism from some quarters anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of you know you, you got to make the decision one way or one way or the other. I think. elements of the book and I think more so in the film uh, 73 version um, voodoo and super than the supernatural um, do you think that would stick in the Daniel Craig era hmm, hmm yeah <laughs> or is there something else that it could be replaced with you know I am thinking, you know, in 65, you could have references to voodoo and get away with it. In 1975, you could have references to voodoo and get away with it. I don't know. 
about the 2010s going into 2020? I'm stuck. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I feel like when you say the word voodoo today, the word that pops in in my mind, and I might get in trouble for saying this because I, I don't know what it is exactly, but I, I, I have always heard of Santeria. I, I don't know if that is like a legitimate thing or or if it's comparable in any way. But I, I for some reason that pops into my mind, and I feel, I sort of feel like there probably is enough legitimate stuff kind of happening in the islands today that people would still say, yeah, this is still valid. That's still a thing. Um, right. I don't know if that is something that somebody would find offensive though. Right. You, you, you would have to handle it carefully um, and you should handle it carefully. But part, what are the things about the ending of live and let die the film? And it's very subtle in its own way. I mean, it's over, over the top as that ending is, it's kind of subtle in that, you know, it's like Baron Samity is like still around. It's like you thought he was dead, but there mm-hmm. he is on the front of the train. And um, part of it is the charisma of uh, Jeffrey Holder. Um, but it's kind of like, I mean, you stop and think about it. It's like Bond couldn't totally vanquish Baron Samity because he's on the front of the train. Um, I have to, I'd have to think about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, could it, you just... could. Could you just t- twist it to basically be um, superstition and, and go with the superstition angle rather than it almost being a religion? Yeah. Well, you you obviously could handle it in a way where – see, what was funny about Live and Let Die is that I, I don't think they ever actually tell you whether the film believes that voodoo exists or it doesn't. Right. It, it, there, there is like a supernatural element to the film – some of it, I believe, is kind of exposed as being, you know, smoke and mirrors. Other yeah. parts are not. Again, you got Baron Samity literally sitting on the front of the train. So I would. Right. And, uh, and I was about to say, ahead. and Solitaire clearly had the ability to see into the future until she had sex with Bond. Well, she got lucky. Um, that's that's the point. Remember <laughs> when, like, the phrase, but yeah. Yeah, mm. but like, remember when Bond is heading over to the U.S. and you have that sequence where they project the plane onto the table and she's absolutely brilliant yeah i mean it it communicates a lot in a short amount of time you know it it takes you know instead of explaining something with a lot of dialogue right it's like a few lines and images and that establishes yes she can see the future um and it it also sets bond up to be a very dangerous person yes which you know, as a re- as recasting Roger Moore was a very smart move to really double down on the fact that he is a threat, even though he's mm. a gentleman in this incarnation. So they kind of reinforced that. But I think one of the things that Bond films have stayed away from is, you know, the use of religion. They've avoided it pretty successfully. But you could scrap, you could kind of do away with the voodoo and just make the villain a cult leader. Yes. Like he could you have know, his own it's interesting. Cult. First of all, you, you know, Again, if you did do a modern take on it, if if we were not comfortable, if they were not comfortable with the idea of really portraying a supernatural, you could just sort of say, yes, it was all smoke and mirrors and this look, this is how the guy did all these tricks, etc. You know, whenever I go down to New Orleans, there are voodoo shops all over the place. So, mm. again, and I sort of say to myself. Well, that's, well, that's a, well, I guess it depends which store you go into for sure. Yeah. You know, um, so that's why I'm sort of saying to myself, I mean, it, 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 there is enough of that still in existence that I think it would be pretty valid. Um, and again, whether or not 
people would get. And again, I don't know anything about it. So I'm really just sort of throwing things out there. Um, if it is something that people do take very seriously as a, as a legitimate religion, then you could just sort of pose the villain as someone who, you know, is a huckster who, who took a yeah. valid, valid practice and decided yeah. to twist right. it around in some way and, you know, make it very clear in the film. Well, you know, this guy, he's obviously not doing, you know, he's not practicing the way you should. And he's, he's used it for his own ill gotten gains, et cetera. And you could also establish that the villain in a way, at least at some level actually believes it himself. And you could have it where his own belief ends up becoming his undoing at the end. Mm. That that's not an original idea. I'm I'm thinking of something which I won't bore you the details with, but that's <laughs> that's how it played out in what I'm thinking of. I think you're I think you're right about the seventy three uh, approach to it, which was to show that um, the villain was using it as a way of manipulating the local populace mm. to keep them in check, which some would argue that's what religion does. But, mm. um, but, and then at the end, of course, it twisted around in the audience to say, well, was it all fake? Was there something to it with the whole Baron Samadhi thing? Which I think mm. was a brilliant way of putting well, well, some uh, amb- ambiguity to it, well, leaving and- the ambiguity of it. Not to make this conversation too heavy, but one can argue that uh, this happens with other forms of more conventional religion all the time. I mean, one reason you have the so-called megachurches, mm-hmm. it's basically aimed at rich people to reassure them, oh, yeah, you're going to go to heaven. Just give me some money and help me build my big megachurch. You know, because, cause, you know, remember there was that thing with Lazarus about, uh, oh, it's easier to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man yes. to go into heaven. So <laughs> basically mega churches are aimed at reassuring people, oh, it's okay. Well, I, I, I don't mean to get into political commentary, but but yeah. But it's I what I'm trying to say is people can get manipulated in all sorts of ways. So it's not you know it, it happens more often than we want to acknowledge, put it that way. And, and and another callback to License to Kill is the whole Joe Butcher, um, cover, oh, right, yeah. which is actually like a profitable enterprise because there's enough people out there getting suckered by it, right? Mm. And that is that is shown as this whole thing's just baloney, but we're going to use it to as a money laundering system. But it's also profitable because there's enough people out there that are easily convinced otherwise. Mm. Um, and it was based you on could, something that was actually happening at that time. Yeah, the uh, televangelists, right, yeah. at the time. So there is precedent in the series to do this. I don't think it would be too You have to do it in kind of a quick, light way. You know, don't, don't lecture. Don't, uh, don't right. hit everyone on the head with a two-by-four, but just kind of, just kind of <laughs> do it and move on, I think. And I think the even just the concept of of using, like I'm I'm having flashbacks of Doctor No, when Quarrel wouldn't go to the island, yes. and Honey didn't want to go onto the island yep. because of the dragon. Right. You know, somebody had manipulated the you know locals into believing that something existed that it didn't. So I think, and and I think your point about, the, you know the the big charlatan uh, televangelist, I think is valid because I think you again, because as I think what we are talking about is something that you know again there are legitimate religious people with and there are people who are not who will 
you know, again, make these mega churches to make money. So you could you could take this, whatever, whatever the bad guy here does and just say, look, you know, this is a bad person who is doing it for the wrong reason. So so regardless of your feeling on this, this is not what he's doing. Right. And and again, going back to this could be the villain's undoing in some way. Again, it has to be how you set this up. But, you know, like I said, if the villain has does have some belief in it at some level and he's like suddenly worried as we approach the climax of the film. That, well, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, Kananga in the 73 film does have some belief in it because he believes that Solitaire has the power to see the predict the future. Right. And, and, he, and he relies on it at the same time as doing all the jiggery pokery on the island to control the locals. And so, and he slaps, you know, he strikes solitaire because he's angry that she had sex with Bond instead of having sex with him because I would have given you love. You knew that. You knew that. And, mm. you know, it's, it's in that, um, you know, when Roger Moore did that Live and Let Die diary, I remember it's been a long time since I read it, but I remember him commenting that he thought that was like one of Yafet Kodo's best scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. And he thought it was rather a powerful performance by Kodo when he did that. Yeah. And just tapping back, I just had to look it up because I couldn't remember exactly which one it was, but John Gardner kind of did explore this in one of the continuation novels, the man from Barbarossa where Bond goes after a religious cult leader. So there is some precedence. And, it, is, um, it is interesting now Cannon. that we're talking about it. I never really gave it that much thought. But, you know, the idea that Kinanga, on one hand, is a true believer and does believe in the the powers, at least the powers Full that sight. Solitaire has. Yet on the other yeah. hand, he is doing this all this other fake manipulation to, again, manipulate a, a small group of locals, frankly, now that I'm thinking about it. So I, I think you could totally do that in 2008 and it would be acceptable. Um, without without being too on the nose. Right, you know? particularly if you like may, lean it closer to a cult kind of setup. Mm. Uh, if it's a cult, that kind of gives you cover. Um, well, it's a cult. Nobody joins a cult. Well, actually they do. Otherwise, you wouldn't have cults. But, uh, but that's, you know, like I said, that gives you cover and, well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like General Orloff in Octopussy. Well, he's Russian, but he's wacko and he's kind of on his own. And, you know, he's, he's, he's not doing this with the uh, authority of the, of the Soviet government. But uh, so if you made, the, you know, if you made him more of a cult leader rather than a widely, you know, widespread religious leader, um, that, like I said, that gives you cover. There, there is something about the word cult. When you, when you throw it into a movie, suddenly the bad guys, like I, I'm having flashbacks of Temple of Doom, of Indiana Jones and yeah. the Temple of Doom. And I feel like, yeah. you know, once you said they're, oh, they're a crazy yeah. cult. Now suddenly they're as, as faceless and evil as the Nazis, you know, and, and right. we can, you know, bump them off without much hesitation. Right. Whereas I think in the 73 adaptation, the, the, the locals are kind of portrayed as gullible, I think. And um, they're not um, necessarily bad people, quote unquote. Um, the TV show I'm thinking about from 65, the episode was set in the Caribbean. And uh, the 
lead, he, he heads the country. His name is, he's known as El Supremo. And, you know, he, he, you know, he is manipulating his population, but he at the same time believes it because at the end, he believes it so much when somebody like jabs this voodoo <laughs> figurine of him <laughs> with the needle, he screams and dies and all this stuff. Um, and then it turns out the the joke at the end was, oh, this uh, little figurine, it was made in Japan. But right. that's that's the little laugh to take the edge off at the end of the episode. But uh, um, in fact, um, on this particular show, the Christian Broadcasting Network was showing it for a while in the mid 80s, but they refused to show that episode because like, no, oh, this isn't Christian. No, we're not going to show this one. But uh, anyway. Well, the, the moral of the story is be careful what you believe, isn't right. it? Which is, yes, counter-programming for the Christian network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, for the, you know, that's the Pat Robertson network, or he owned it yes. at the time. He later sold it. But yes, that was, that was probably like not something they wanted to touch. agreement then that we'd see lighter lose his leg to the sharks yes and we'd go down that full path so um with that in mind solitaire and i'm going to make the argument doesn't matter doesn't matter because obviously <laughs> the, ca- the casting in 73 was contentious with the studio right, right. um but today eh, there's no big one deal. Way I'd, I'd, I'd go back to the mankowitz idea um uh, African American uh, actress opposite Bond. It's like no big deal. Well, we had it with Die Another Day. Like, yeah. so, yeah. Ding ding. Bill gets the points for mentioning Die Another Day. Actually, I've um, mentioned it about twice. <laughs> twice. So I, I keep shoehorning it in just because I want to be sure we keep our streak going. But. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things when, when, whenever there's any kind of discussion about live and let die in the novel in today's world. It's one of the things that comes up as being, well, that would be a sensitive topic. I really don't think it would be. You know, the main sensitive thing about the live and let die novel is I forget the chapter number, but there's that one title chapter yes. title. That's, that's mm-hmm. bad. We, we don't want to go there. Fleming's attempt at the dialogue. Right. is also <sighs> problematic. But I mean, yes. again, that none of those things would be in the film, right? And, no, and not film at all. Version of it. So they kind of solve themselves because they wouldn't be transferred anyway. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the other big section that's been that was plundered for the movies is the keel hauling, um, which made its mm. way into Fiora's only, which was originally written for for Moonraker, uh, right? Because it was originally Bond and Holly being keel hauled, uh, and then they like well. <laughs> This this movie would cost God knows how much. We gotta like toss some things out. So they save that for for your eyes only. Um, suitable ending for a film in these day and age. Limpet mine on the boat. Keel hall. Limpet mine goes off. Boat sinks. 
bad guy gets eaten by a shark. And no, I think it'd have to be more elaborate. <laughs> right. Which, which, given Eon's experience with making things more elaborate, i.e., the um, at the at the end of uh, Casino Royale, well, the whole thing right. with the, the that block of Venice that's supposedly sinking into the lagoon, um, that's I'm sure they could handle it quite easily. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine something that would still be sort of faithful to the book, like, you know, just some sort of a waterborne finale. But, uh, yeah, it would, it would definitely need to be pumped up a little more. You, you, you could have something more elaborate, but he could still get eaten by sharks at the end. And, but probably something a little more might be a little more horrifying than is a typical Bond movie. Just imply it more than, um, you know, an actual blood fest. But, uh, you, you could, st- like I said, you could still have Bonaparte still get eaten by a shark. You just have to, like, do more elaborate steps before you get to that point. Right. And it would keep, it would keep the kind of trope of Craig not actually killing the villain directly. Yeah. Keep that rolling. Mm. But I think that's where, you know, with Casino, they kind of stuck 40 minutes on the front of it. I think it's the back end of the live and let die plot of the novel that you would have to spend significant time beefing up mm, that's other than just the keel hauling. But, but again, it's not like Eon doesn't have experience with this. Again, I cited earlier, like from Russia with love, like, okay, we'll have, we'll add this helicopter die bombing bond, which works pretty well. We have that thing with the boats. Eh, it doesn't work as well, but, but, uh, you know, I mean, they, I mean, they did it back in '63. There's no reason they couldn't have done it in 2006, 2008. Um, any other points you guys want to pick up on from the book that you think could either just go like straight through, or would actually have, you'd have to sit down and think about? Um, I there was a thought that I've always had. Of, you know, the uh, we were talking before about uh, well, how, how do you handle material that that had been legitimately done on screen? Um, I keep going back to the scene where uh, they've got Bond's pinky finger and they're going to break his finger if right. uh, if Solitaire gets a wrong answer. And um, when I was rereading the novel not that long ago, I was, you know, that scene had come up and I kind of had forgotten. I was like, oh, yeah, they do. They do do this in the novel. And that's kind of where it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, this really would be great material for Craig because, you know, in the film Live and Let Die, you know, it's Roger's finger and you kind of say to yourself, you, you know, that they're right. You know, they're, they're not going to they're not going to mess his hair up, much less break his finger. <laughs> they're not going to snip his finger off, which was the implied, which was the right. supposedly right. Yeah, the yeah. threat. But in the novel, they actually do bust break his, his finger. finger. Yeah. Right. And I remember like when I was reading it going like, wow, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. They break his finger. And he there's, there's like a dark hallway fight and he's fighting his way out with the broken finger um, you know, brush out to the street. And I think there's a small car chase afterwards. And that's when it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, that is Daniel Craig's bond. So that's sort of where I think like you really could revisit this material and do it and put a whole different modern spin on it. I mean, I'm, I'm, st- I'm saying to myself, Daniel Craig busted finger, vicious fist fight leading to a car chase in the city. With right. Craig Bond wearing steel cap shoes and kicking the hell out of people with those steel cap shoes, yeah, that's right. and then and then ending off with a car chase in Manhattan, which I had flashbacks of the of the born uh, supremacy was it supremacy or the uh, ultimatum, and I was like, you know, that I could see that absolutely. 
I, you know what? The only thing I would think I would want a little bit more of a think on is how you integrate modern New York into this story that we're talking about. But I mean, it could certainly be done. Um, I, I think, Bill, that comes down to how would you update the gold smuggling to something modern? Right. I mean, you know, license to kill it was drugs, but I mean, in this yeah. day and age, as I mentioned, it could be cryptocurrency, it could be all sorts of other things. And and, and but, I like the idea, well, because I said it was you know the idea that Bonaparte has his you know tentacles into all sorts of the New York City right. establishment. Um, you know, just again, to, you know, that's part of the thing of building him up so that he's you know he you know he is like a formidable opponent for bond you know he is he has all this power not just thug power but also he has all this influence and so forth so um but i it could i think it could easily be be done that way mm. almost almost a max zorin kind of setup where we can't couldn't possibly be him he's so well connected French right. industrialist, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, in, in terms of how you would revisit New York City, I, I, that's actually one of the reasons why I would really love to see like Craig's Bond go to New York because, you know, I, I have this, uh, this vision and I'm not just saying it because it's my backyard, but, you know, I, I think to myself, like, if you had enough time in New York where, for example, like on, in one shot or one scene, you know, Bond meets up with Lighter in a classic location like the 21 Club. Yes. You know, and then maybe in another or part. Sardis, another one. Yeah. There you go. 21 Club would be sort of my, that would be my choice. Oh, yeah. I, I've um, been to both of them. Yeah. So, uh, but I, but I mean, you can have another shot somewhere else where you're in a much more modern, you know, like maybe a modern place with like a big view of Manhattan, et cetera. So I kind of feel like that would, that would be a pretty sweet little playground for, for, for Bond. Because again, one of, one of the things I love about Casino Royale is that kind of classic meets modern feel. And I think that that would be a very interesting way to do that, too. Mm. Well, like the West, uh, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. My, you know, I haven't been to New York in a while, but my impression of Manhattan anyway, West, the West side of Manhattan is kind of like, it's almost like the theme park with all the bright neon lights. And then over on the East side is the quieter kind of darker part of uh manhattan and you you have a lot of variety in manhattan and you can like Mm. you can kind of play off either side depending on you know the needs of the story and so forth yeah absolutely i mean you're absolutely correct i mean there there are so many different areas i mean you know i I don't know if I see James Bond in Times Square, uh, no. but yeah, there I, are, I see, there are I see plenty down, of. I'd, I'd see him down in Wall Street um, if this if the plot continues from Casino about financing terrorism. Yeah, mm. absolutely, and that, I mean, that, and, and that takes you down by exactly. the 11 site. Yeah, because right. it all ties together with the Federal yeah. Reserve Building being down there and everything else. Yeah, and also um, not too far away is that big NSA. Um, listing post so there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff down in that uh, in downtown that i think would tie really well together absolutely um so now we just you, need to make our pitch to eon or we go back to uh 1955 and convince fleming to take the 500 dollars from warner brothers yeah because <laughs> that's that's what happened and he and he turned well it's going to be five thousand, right if they turn it into a film um and he turned them down. And the rest is to say his history. Yeah. What does it matter to you? 
didn't get on to casting but i think that's one of those things that we'd have to sort the characters out first before yes. um, getting into any of that those, and those and, obvious and, traps for controversy and one key decision would be casting of solitaire um do you go the tom mankowitz way what what he wanted to do um and the villain the villain would be a real key piece of casting mm. yeah but again Looking at what they did to Casino, Le Chief, they kind of made stateless. Yeah. Even though in the original, well, it was cut from the film, but the original shooting script had the whole backstory of him. And uh, mentions of the Iraq war and stuff were taken out of the film, I think, wisely, because it would have dated it. Um, yes. And, you know, they threw, as I mentioned at the start, they threw in a bunch of new bad guys um, which which brought up to date. So, I, I I think you could just create the the Bonaparte figure as another stateless guy. I don't think it has to be tied to a specific geography or race or creed or anything else. Right, and mm. again, also the shadowy organization. It's not of any country. It's not of any particular right. ideology. It's like they're just determined to uh, make a good living on the misery of other people. Right. And we don't care who they are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. As the Schieffer says, I believe in a reasonable rate of return. Yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think that to me, the thing that would be most problematic in doing a, a movie adaptation of would be, well, you're going to have to do a title song, and a score and living that dies like one of the most iconic in the series mm. how'd you go about that you might <laughs> you, you might have to do let's let's for argument's sake say the the movie is called live and let die what you might have to do to avoid comparison is have a song that's not titled live and let die right you you, you don't even try to compete with paul mccartney you just come up with something else something that more uh conjures up the image of the film you're about to see yeah akin to you know you know my name rather than a song called casino royale right yeah mm. go down that route maybe you go for a much softer song because you know as you're saying it i'm sort of thinking live and let die by paul mccartney you you know my name chris cornell they're, they're yeah. probably both kind of the, like the most rock and roll, you know, pounding yes. of the series. So it might yeah. be a smart move just to go the other direction anyway, since you don't want two back to back, you know, big, loud rock, rock songs. Maybe you go with kind of like the Adele, Sam Smith kind of a song. So, again, you're, you're, you're going in the way different direction than Paul McCartney. And, and McCartney was trying to, like, outdo John Barry. He was, like, wanting, like, something big and a big sound. So 
another reason to maybe like change it up and go to a softer sound. But that's that's not a job I don't think many artists would step up for <laughs> voluntarily. I don't know. It's like, well, it's like you have a chance to be in a Bond film and I, maybe a lot wouldn't, but I still think you'd have some applicants. You'd have to go for a younger artist who wouldn't appreciate the, the predicament they would be in. Yeah. Paul, who? You, who's that? You mean that You're old perfect. guy? You're hired. <laughs> Yeah, that, that old guy that closes out the Olympic ceremonies, that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The best joke I ever heard about that was uh, Paul McCartney was paid $6 million to sing at the Olympic opening ceremony. That was $1 million for every note he hit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> A little cruel. Uh, 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 yeah. the other, my other favorite was uh, six years later, still singing Hey Jude. I think was <laughs> oh there the was... other onion headlines oh. of the time of London 2012. Um, yeah, that was the thing I thought of when we were recording this was the, the music. The music is so iconic. Um, outside of the James Bond series, it's everybody knows that song pretty much. When uh, when Paul McCartney goes on a talk show, um, this is back yeah. when David Letterman you know was hosting his own show. Paul McCartney was the guest. The band's playing Live and Let Die as he comes out yeah. on the stage. So He that's... closes out most concerts with it, too. Yeah. So, you know, that might be the one when the day comes and they roll the obit on the news, that's probably going to be the tune. That... Or or at least uh, kind of sharing, like, Paul Although McCartney. It might, be in bad t- it might be in bad taste if it's Paul... a bit real. <laughs> Paul, Paul McCartney, uh, Beatle and writer of Live and Let Die, comma, dies. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a tough sell to get somebody to step up to that gig. But you're right; there's plenty of um, plenty of millennial artists that would probably have a crack at <laughs> it. We've kind of worked out how to do "Live and Let Die." Any hooks or traps or hints that we could embed in that to set up Moonraker being the third outing Mm. well well given how films sometimes end on cliffhangers or Mm. things you know at the end he's vanquished bonaparte but he finds something else like this is not over and it's something that leads to whatever billionaire is playing with rockets um something like that or he just goes down to the next call in mr white's phone recent history (laughs) (laughs) This, <laughs> this, <laughs> this Hugo Drax, but mm-hmm. um, it would it would be interesting to do. You, you know, one of the um, kind of a side effect if they really did decide to do Live and Let Die as a second book, as a second film after Casino, the side effect would be you could go back to the days of James Bond will return in. Right. So you, you would you would literally know like well then they're gonna do Moonraker next, and right. yeah it wouldn't be that hard to do. I don't know if I'd want to go down the the post credit road, but some little Easter egg somehow you know maybe a TV in the background. This uh, the billionaire Hugo Drax is gonna launch his first rocket. Yeah. He's the first billionaire, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's like, ooh, okay, you know. Again, it could even be it could it could even be like a headline on the newsstand that he walks past or something, right? Yeah, it's like mm. something something in the last shot 
fade to black credits roll. I, I, you know, it's like Marvel does those post credit things really well. I've seen other people try it and it just, you know, it's like, it's pretty obvious they're copying Marvel. Like there was that female ghostbusters. Yeah. They had a post credit scene. It's like, stop it. Just don't do this. Um, and, and I wouldn't want Bond to do it either. So, yeah, something in the you know, very last shot. Like you said, he could, he, he could be like walking past a newsstand in New York. <laughs> yeah, there's like I mean, newspapers. it doesn't even have to be it doesn't even have to be the end of the film. It could just be right. somewhere buried somewhere in the middle of it. But yeah. Here's this mention of what's going to turn up to be the next film. Or it could be M. M might have come back from Blades at the start of this one just to kind of name drop where the setup for the next one's going to be do all sorts of things oh he, he's talking to m it's like uh, mission accomplished uh, m says well i've got to go over to blades now got a bridge yeah. game <laughs> right mm, would you like to join me for dinner 007 because <laughs> <laughs> there's still people who play bridge in 20 2008 <laughs> well they play it for money put it that way um right yeah so this you know live and let die could not be at, adapted in 2008 or 2020 uh, myth busted, I think. I think we could do it. I, I think it, you know, it shows. I, I kind of feel like you could do anything. It, you know, again, I think the concern would be that you would do the book in a, in a way that is non conscious of the current state of affairs. And I think, well, I think any intelligent person would very much update it for the current, you right. know, years and, um, and again, I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like it's almost inherent in in taking on the task of doing any yes. novel from years ago. All right, so I think we've wrapped up what we would do to live and let die, make it work. Um, going into this, um, there were some concerns, but I don't think any of them would be um, too problematic that you couldn't pull it off. I don't know if that's the jury's decision. This is the jury's decision um, that this one's quite doable. Yeah, I, I I think it's a matter of uh, you know how you treat it and also how you market it. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. This has been great, and maybe we'll pick this up in the future. Um, assuming this got done, uh, we'll go one stretch further. Maybe talk about Moonraker one day and how we would adapt that faithfully for the modern age sounds good I like it alright and um, we'll play out I haven't decided what we'll play out on, on this episode but I'm sure it's going to be some terrible cover of Live Let Die <laughs> Artist that would TBD. be appropriate that would be yes. appropriate mm. Artist TBD alright thanks very much guys thanks Thank for you. having us